welcome. This is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestoninzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe so we can help you master the art of selling. What do you do when things don't go to plan in sales? There's one thing you can guarantee that's going to happen to you when working in the world of selling, and that is things don't go to plan. But what do you do when they don't go to plan? It's the relentless focus that high performers have on mindset that allows them to break through the challenging barriers that exist when selling. And even when things are going to plan, it's often because one is really focused on building the right mindset, building the mindset of resilience, building the mindset of abundance and not focusing on the scarcity side of selling. And that's what this week's episode is all about. And we have the author of How Good Humans Sell, Catherine Brown, who's going to talk about some of the things that she's done in her career and how she helps sellers build that mindset of resilience, build that mindset of growth to break down any barrier in any environment, in any economic environment to be the best sales professional you can be. Revenue operations is much more than words in a job title. It's a movement that is transforming sales, marketing, and customer success teams into high-performing revenue drivers. RingDNA is a recognized Gartner cool vendor that makes RevOps possible by driving improved operational efficiency and revenue capture from sales, marketing, and customer success. Trusted by the top companies across the globe, RingDNA offers a complete sales engagement, conversational intelligence, and revenue intelligence platform for Salesforce customers. Learn how we can transform your results at ringdna.com. That's ringdna.com. This is going to be a great episode. Catherine comes not just with a level of expertise from selling, but she also comes with that level of science. And she brings the science component to what creates, you know, what sellers can do to create a really resilient mindset. So this is a great episode for any sales professional trying to break down the barriers to be the best they can be. So welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much. My pleasure to be here. I know it's a, a late afternoon for you on a Friday, so you're probably keen to get to a beer or a wine, but uh, <laughs> yeah, keen to, to share your story with our listeners and talk a bit about mindset and how sellers can you know, adopt a growth-based mindset to help them through good times and bad. But before we get into today's session, we'd love to learn a bit more about you and how you started in the world of sales. Thank you. I came in through recruiting. I actually thought I was going to be a professional musician. And I feel like a way all that training helped me was that I had hundreds of hours on a stage and had to learn to manage myself and the emotions of managing myself, which sure comes up on sales calls, right? Sure yeah. comes up when you feel nervous. So I came, I graduated university and my first couple of jobs out of college were as internal recruiter positions. I realized pretty quickly that that was a form of selling because I was looking to make a match and see if this person that we wanted to hire was a fit. And then I was the first recruiter inside one of those consulting firms to be promoted into an account manager position where I then received more formal training and started to realize the whole 
sales process and which parts I liked the best and which parts I didn't. And that's kind of how that unfolded. Yeah, awesome. And what were some of the sort of, I suppose, milestones in your career that you, when you look back on, you're really proud of achieving? One was to decide to become self-employed. So I probably was only eight years out of university and eight years selling when I made a move across the country in the U.S. We moved to a small college town where it was not convenient to travel like it had been living in a larger town. And I wanted to get off the road. And I had two little boys, was looking for a way to have a professional career. And I sat thought through what do I know how to do and what would someone pay me to do and back in 2002 when this was very uncommon I built a remote sales workforce with a boutique telemarketing firm and people would contract through my people and we would cold call and generate leads for other companies and so I had not all but mostly professional moms who were looking for ways to keep their skills sharp, but for some reason wanted to get off the road and were available to work on a contract part-time basis. I ran that company for 17 years, Luigi. I mean, it was, it, I know, is the whole time I was raising my boys and served hundreds of companies. And the lessons I learned in that business really is what propelled me to write some sales training material because at that point I had sat through so many already existing courses and noticed what my clients had done and what courses they'd done and what they seemed to still be struggling with and felt like felt like there was still a gap. So all of those client experiences helped me get to where I am today and, and what I've written so far. Yeah, fantastic. And tell me what inspired you to write, write a book on, on how good humans sell? I wanted to have something more digestible. I had the material in a curriculum form, but you had to buy the 12-week program to get to most of that, and it felt a little bit too difficult. I also wanted to have a chance to reach more people, and I liked the idea of having a very inexpensive way that a person could get a bunch of the lessons. I did not know that the title and the message would resonate with people in the way that it is. It's extremely gratifying to have random messages coming in where people say, I do feel like sales is too pushy. And I did pick up the book because I was worried about whether I could retain my integrity and still be a good person or be perceived as a good person and sell. And that's immensely rewarding and that has exceeded my expectations. Yeah, fantastic. And tell us, for those who haven't read the book, what is one takeaway that they should expect to receive from that book so that when they jump on and buy it, post this episode, what's one thing they can expect that will help them be the best they can be? Thanks, Luigi. If you could take one thing, I believe what you'll take from it is a deeper appreciation and sincere belief that you want to keep going in the sales process and not give up so easily because you start to understand that you have a choice about what to believe. Yeah. That's the big part. And it sounds so crazy, but I mean, people, whether they pay me $15 for the paperback, you know, 15 us dollars for the paperback book, or they spend thousands of dollars for me to come into a corporation. If everyone would persist a little bit more and stop making up stories in their head, that would be a victory. So talk to us about this because this is a really interesting, right? So those stories 
that sellers or that we all create for ourselves in every aspect of life, right? I mean, sometimes our worst enemy is the person living in our head. Yeah. And I know I've experienced that throughout my professional career, also my personal life, when there's times where I'm telling myself something and then I'm starting to believe that. Right. Yes. yes. And I think in sales, it's one of the, 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 you know, the professions that we can build an incredible relationship with someone one day, progress an opportunity to a point of proposal. And then all of a sudden the buyer just disappears and starts mm-hmm. to ghost us. Mm-hmm. And we then start making up stories <laughs> about why they're ignoring us about maybe I've done something wrong or have they selected another provider or maybe they don't want to do business with us. We don't actually know what the answer is, right? It could be a whole combination of things on their end. How do you help sellers and what, you know, if somebody's listening to this going, you know what, a big chunk of my pipeline has just gone cold. Mm -hmm. What's a tactic or strategy that somebody can do to kind of reframe the way they think so they can turn a negative into a positive? Super, super question. So the first thing I would do is I would go back and look at my notes. I'm presuming you're keeping good notes in your CRM, yeah. right? <laughs> that's, our, that's our base assumption. Yeah. You go back at your notes and you look at the last interaction you have and you remember that to the best of your ability and you write down, what did they say? What did I say? What did we say was going to happen? Because that is actually the data that we really have. I'm married to a research psychologist. And so we use words like data in our house all the time. And that is actually the only real data that we have. What exists up here in our brain is imaginary and stories and and perception and inference. And it's not always wrong, but it's often wrong. So then once I have this baseline of, well, what was the, what was the last thing that happened? Let's say, Louise, it's not even just the example with the proposal, although that happens a lot, maybe we met through something. We met through a virtual networking or we had an interaction on LinkedIn and you said, contact me. So I follow up. I don't hear from you. I try again. I don't hear from you. I try again. Right. This has happened to all of us yep. many times. And even in that example, what was the real data you had? Well, It was that they said, contact me, let's get together. So one of the things I have my clients do regularly is when I sense that they're starting to spin out with a story or they start to recognize hopefully themselves, part of what we're trying to do is increase our own recognition and notice our own self-talk. So when that happens, what we could do is actually list, take that same piece of paper and list all of the things that it actually could be that are not bad. They just are. So they, they could be on vacation. That's the time of year when, when we're making this Mm. recording, right? They could be busy with launching kids to school. They could be unbelievably distracted. So we want to have empathy and they will actually appreciate our follow-up with clear next steps because that's a gift to them since they actually really do want to do something with us, but they have many competing priorities. I make, I have a list actually on my website of 
the 10 lies we tell ourselves, and I'm making fun a little bit of people about what, what, why not call. So I say, well, I can't call today because it's Friday. I can't call today because it's too early on Monday. I can't call today because it's a holiday. I can't call today because I just called a week ago, right? These crazy things that, that salespeople will say, and I'm, I'm, I'm poking fun a little bit, but everyone who reads that says, I know I'm, they're chuckling, but they're saying, I have thought those things. We all do that. So replacing that with viable possibilities based on real examples that we all have turns out i tell a story in the book where i talk about sending a proposal to someone that i thought was a complete slam dunk i mean i teach qualifying i knew i qualified them on every front i knew he was ready i felt like the price was fair and i didn't hear didn't hear didn't hear and i walk my readers through what was going through my mind where until actually attempt number four i was fine i had yep. no emotional feeling i was following my own instructions in my crm no problem time number four is when his name popped up and it was time for me to follow up again in the sequence i had set up for myself and i looked at that and i thought i don't know if i could do this <laughs> <laughs> because I was starting to make it mean something that I hadn't heard from this person. And I did exactly what I am encouraging your listeners to do, which is to pause, look at what happened and say, there must be an explanation that has nothing to do with me. This is such an interesting conversation thread. And, and I talk through my experiences because I've worked in sales pretty much my whole life. Right. And, I remember the days and even now, sometimes I jump into my CRM and there's some contacts or records that I'm looking at going, I need to call that person. And I look at it and go, oh, no, nah, I'll go to the next one because the next <laughs> one's got a higher chance of engaging with me. The story that I'm telling myself, because maybe that person hasn't picked up after eight or nine times, because I'm pretty persistent in my prospecting, right? Or, and I've, you know, I think, and I've seen that. I've been, I've worked in the bullpen before I've worked in I mean, pre-COVID, right? I've been on sales floors by pretty much what I did every day. And I'd say to guys, you know, looking at their pipe, what's going on to this one? Oh, he's not ready yet. How do you know? Well, I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, so, I know. And so I think we do this a lot and, and uh, not just in sales. So, all right. So what I'm hearing is you take a step back, you start to really think about, okay, let's actually look at some real life data that we have and start to come up with some ideas on what's happening in their world based on what we've learned. I think that's really important because also it can increase our empathy. And this is a whole other conversation that we probably don't have time for today, but with the increase in what is available for internet marketing and people watching videos and augmented intelligence and artificial intelligence technology and sales enablement technologies and all these things, why do we need people? Mm. Well, there's still all these people parts of it, but I feel like what we want to do is be the very best people we can be so that as late as possible in the sales process, I want the warmest lead I can get because they've researched and they've read about me and they've read about the company and they've watched the video of the demo or whatever it is. When we finally talk, I want to show up and be my very best self and be fully all human empathy. <laughs> and, and that doesn't have to be drippy emotional but really what does it mean to show up as a person these days when there is so much that can be 
impersonal and effective. And so I like that exercise of what could be going on in my prospects life because it reminds you that they are a person just like your person and aren't we also struggling with lockdown mm. covid homeschooling everybody working remotely increased stress how is it that i have all this flexibility but i seem to be working all the time everybody is in the same situation and so you need to remember that so that when you do get the person you don't make it weird you're not passive aggressive you believe the best and you bring that energy with you because whether it's even straight out old-fashioned phone just like we used to work or we can see each other on video they can tell yeah but I think the path you're going down, and, and this is where I like to split sort of top of funnel from active pipe, right? So, you know, our top of funnel prospects that we're engaging with, we've never spoke to them. We're reaching out across multiple channels. We are telling ourselves stories and those stories come from a place of unknown. Even the research that we do, there's still, there's a lot of assumptions in those, in that research, right? And but I think the stories we tell ourselves post that initial engagement, when we've actually earned the right to have a discovery call, learn a bit about our prospect, and we start to progress the opportunity. I think there's an opportunity, from, from my perspective, I often say, okay, let me think, if something is happening, and I, I get it, I'm a big believer in the empathy part of the sales process. But often it's an indication for me that have I done enough? Have I asked the right questions early in the process that's allowed me to understand what's happening in the prospects world. What are sure. some of the other priorities that they're focused on right now? Are there projects, are there transformational initiatives that, you know, he or she's working on that could distract them from my conversation? Because often from a seller's perspective, we think, you know, the project that I'm trying to talk to you about or the product or service, it's important to me. And yes, there's a level of importance from the buyer, but it's one of 30 to 40 things that they're probably thinking about every single day. And so there's only so much mind share that they have to spend on certain things. And if, if it, and that's where I think this whole premise of the stories we tell ourselves is so important mm -hmm. to really mm -hmm. just take a step back and remove that a level of emotion that it's not about us. Right. Right. That's right. That part of the qualifying criteria that I would like to see be somehow more normalized. I don't quite have this model figured out <laughs> in my head, but if you were the sales director or vice president of sales overseeing a big enterprise sales team, I wish there were ways that people were rewarded for doing more of the right thing. And sometimes the right thing is to kick something back to marketing. Yeah. Like I think about all the hours I spent really not listening carefully because I was trying to talk them into something being more urgent than it actually yeah. was in their life. And I think part of it is I didn't have the skill to ask enough open-ended questions and really hear what they were saying. And part of it, truthfully, is that I had a lot of pressure on me and I did not have the liberty to really make mm. the right decision at the moment because I was 
being short-sighted and it's so ironic, right? I hear myself telling the story and I think, here's the problem. If you drag things out because you're trying to talk people into things or make something a priority when they are so goal diffused, they have so many things going on, you're actually filling up your time and you have an opportunity cost by not moving on. Yep. But you Absolutely. show up to meetings, you have things to share, you feel like you're working. And what would it be like for us and with our relationship with sales and marketing if it were okay to qualify in or out more quickly based on timing and urgency, where yeah. it, you could say, this is actually a marketing lead and I'm happy for you. Go some other kind of action. We'll know you kick it back to me and have that all be okay and maybe even more than okay have it be amazing this is what smaller businesses can do and individual sellers can decide for themselves mm. but the bigger the organization gets the more it gets hard to make those kind of decisions yeah. ironically even though you have more tech to help you yeah it's interesting and you know what I, I i do think about this quite a lot this is something that i've thought about and i continue to think about right this whole qualify in qualify i actually spoke about to this with tony hughes yesterday mm. and if i had qualified out or in you know let's look at the qualification process medic or bant whatever there's there's so many out there right but if i did right. qualification process on some of the biggest deals i ever did i wouldn't have won those deals because mm. they didn't have budget they didn't have it wasn't a priority for them at the time but through deep discovery we co-created a business case for change. Like we, we, we worked out that actually there's an unrecognized need here. That unrecognized need within that organization was costing them X amount of dollars. And they needed something to move the needle to improve that and reduce mm -hmm. that cost. Mm -hmm. And then we created the business case. I actually, mm -hmm. my good old trusted Miller Hyman, you know, blue sheets, um, or the situational appraisal summary. So, and this is where I'm a little bit challenged by the qualification frameworks. And yes, I think they're important and there's some questions that we need to ask, but I think what I'm loving about what you're saying around the stories we tell ourselves is sometimes, you know, timing can be a barrier and it's a fine line between saying to a prospect, I can, you know, helping them identify a need for change if they're just not ready to change, because that's what great selling is about. It's about helping somebody change from current state to future state. If they're not exactly ready for change and we try too hard to move them when they're not ready, right. we're breaking the relationship. Like there's, a, there's a relationship barrier that then is put in place because they feel like, hey, you don't understand where I'm coming from. You're not empathizing with me and my my situation and right. this is where i think you know great sellers what they do differently is they don't look at the short term mm -hmm. is they're thinking long term and because mm -hmm. they have healthy pipelines they can hold certain ops nurture them build that relationship until they're ready to make change. I'd love to hear yes, your thoughts on that. Totally agree. One thing I've seen as a theme through your podcast is this idea, you use different language for it, but it's what I would call the customer transformation, that everyone is always moving toward, not just about the product or service that we're talking about, or myself in my finance department or whatever, it's about me as a person too. Like I'm on a journey, 
I am the hero of my own story and I'm on a journey and everyone who can assist me in some way of getting there gets my attention. (laughs) And and sometimes what we're selling doesn't match what they want to do next in their journey. And so part of that careful listening that I think is part of qualifying is that sometimes the opportunity is not for you yet and you become a resource to them for something else that is a a preliminary step. And again, this is a liberty and joy that I have because I sell for myself. And I recognize that the the size of the organization, the structure, all those things affect how easy it is to implement what I'm saying. But I do recognize that. I think the ideal scenario that we want to move toward, though, is that we, if we really think that selling is something we do for someone and that selling really is helping, then we have to listen to how they want to be helped right now. And what they're telling us, make sure and confirm that's the case, and then do what is the next right thing. And what I don't like is definitions of selling that say that the definition of selling is to take them through a process that will always lead to closure. Mm. That's just not true. Now, maybe maybe eventually it's true for most of them, depending on how long a view you have, but that type of thinking, it feeds desperate behavior, it keeps you from listening, yeah. it puts you in this fight or flight, people can tell. And part of what I talk about in the book is that it feeds this negative stereotype, which is one of the reasons that we have a global shortage of amazing salespeople. Yeah, but I, I'm completely aligned with that and I know, I know that you you know my philosophy on this is that yes you know close ratio is important conversions and all that's important right but fundamentally if we're going into a sale and our primary objective is closing them so I can get my commission and I know there's a lot of gurus out there that'll that'll talk this type of mentality up we're fundamentally focused on the wrong thing right? Because again, it's not about us. And I'd argue this with any guru professional, you know, I, 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 I'm on, I'm still on my journey. I've put some, some, some significant deals together and all of those deals came together because my primary focus was on my customer, my customer, my prospect was at the center of everything that I did. Yes. And that's what I love about the message that you're putting out because it's about saying, Hey, it's okay if they don't buy from me, right? Some of the best referrals I've got was from people that didn't buy from me because they enjoyed the experience, right? They learned through the process. They were educated. They discovered more about what they needed and they discovered that they learned stuff. I created value for them Yes. before they even purchased anything. Yes. And how much more, how many more referrals will you receive when people know that you will treat their referral that way? Every person. I I mean, I know people know that of me and that they can say sincerely, why don't you talk to Catherine and see if that's, if, if working with her or her team is the right next thing. And she'll tell you if it's not, and she'll, she'll give you some suggestions. Let's talk to her next. Yeah. And they can have, have confidence in that. And I think that can be true for any of us. And that's a benefit of doing things for a long time. When you're in these professions for a long time, you do develop such an extensive network that you can ask, if not me, who? Mm. And 
I think that this amazing thing about technology, the conversation we're having, the fact that we would even meet, <laughs> this, this, is, this is an example where people can even be friendly competitors or complementary services. And there is plenty for everyone and I'm not right for everyone. And that is great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Not, not everybody's my perfect customer. You know, I, I yeah. keep talking about your ideal customer profile and I'm reading or I've just about finished a book by Sangram. ABM is B2B. Big fan of it. I'm a big fan of the whole concept of really identifying your target market and serving them. Not everybody is your target customer, right? Loving yes. serving them, enabling them, I think is a, is a key part of the process. So I want to go back a step. So you mentioned earlier, those stories we say, we, we tell ourselves can create, you know, unwanted stress and a whole range of things. But if you're a seller, if you're a marketer, anyone listening to this particular episode, what's one thing apart from, you know, looking at the data, but what's one thing they can do to start to really reframe things? Because I think that's a key thing. You know, we're getting up every day. I think the pandemic you know, is, is, has been a huge global issue that I don't think anybody would have ever anticipated going through what we've gone through. We're still in lockdown where I am, right? But over, over the course of our life, there are times, you know, when you're really up and there are times of crisis. And I think in selling, you experience times of crisis, right? Yes, I mean, if you've yes. been in sales a long time, yes. it's very hard to be that top every single month, quarter, year. Yes. So what, what, are, what are some things sellers can do to reframe some things in their mind from a mindset perspective that'll help them flip from the negative to a positive? Yes. One of the things that I have doubled down on during the, the pandemic is a more vigorous and dedicated morning routine. Mm. And because I'm married to this research scientist, we <laughs> look for data in our household. And I had in the past been maybe, maybe suspicious is the right word to doubtful, suspicious of a lot of gurus that are about just straight out personal development, like all mindset and kind of getting even into some of the woo woo stuff. I was pretty suspicious of a lot of the benefit of affirmations, for example, or the benefit of visualization or the benefit yeah. of journaling. And I have completely changed my mind on all of those things because I see the time I spend in writing my reframing and my mm -hmm. affirmations about the value I provide people, which I do every day. The journaling that I do as I read every morning to continue to be learning and activate my creativity about how to serve people even better. As I do that every day, I do it seven days a week. I don't even take off during the weekend because then I have trouble getting back on board Monday if I stop. So I, I have a routine seven days a week that is a deep time investment in me for me so I can then go out and serve. And, you know, the very tired analogy of the oxygen mask when you're flying, I remember the first time I was told that, and I had little kids, and I remember hearing that and thinking, I don't, I still don't understand why I would put the oxygen mask on myself and then my child. I think I would want to put it on my child first. Like, I did not understand what they were saying. Yeah. 
and I think now I go, oh, okay, because yeah. I really have to have something to pour out and give. And so I would say a faithful commitment to that personal and professional development that you stick with regardless of your emotion. Because here's the thing. I think you'll like this, this acronym. I got this from Mary Hyatt. Mary Hyatt is an executive coach. And I, I like her podcast. And she talks about this, this acronym called B-E-A-R. So like a bear, B-E-A-R. She says, beliefs lead to emotions, emotions lead to action, and action leads to results. Whoa, so good isn't it great? So she said, B-E-A-R, beliefs lead to emotions, emotions lead to actions, action leads to results. If you wonder what you believe, you work backwards. Mm. What results did I get from the actions I took, which was probably fueled by the emotions I had, which were held up or harmed? by my beliefs. And, and so I think that because we know that emotion really has too much power in our life, right? We, we, we want to notice when we feel like we're being taken away by our emotions or feel particularly low and recognize this is, this is a physiological response. This will pass. <laughs> and I double down on my routine that is helping me get reframed about why I serve. That's what I do. And that's, you know, for all my listeners, um, they know about, I'm a big believer, got Mindset Monday podcast, and it talks about all this stuff, you know, the, the, yes. the, the early learning or teachings of Jim Rohn or Earl Nightingale that talks about not to focus on the result. The result is the wrong metric to focus on. Yeah. And I just want to, you know, again, double down as, 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 as per your words, for any seller listening to this, anyone listening to this, if, if the result is what you're after, if you're looking to improve that result, you got to go back a step and really mm -hmm. think about how are you preparing yourself to achieve that success? So Catherine, I just want to say, I really appreciate you sharing your ideas on mindset and creating the right, you know, the right story to be the best you can be. So I want to say mm -hmm. thank you for coming on the podcast. Just before we let you go, where can our listeners find you and, and where can they buy your book? And we'll put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so much. So my book is called How Good Humans Sell. It is on Amazon in paperback and Kindle. And starting January of 2022, depending on whenever they hear this, um, it will also be on Audible. So that is in, in, in process. Everything about me is available at my website, which is extraboldsales.com, E-X-T-R-A-B-O-L-D, extraboldsales.com. And then my most prolific platform is LinkedIn. So that's a good place to connect with me. Fantastic. Well, we'll make sure we put them in the show notes. Kathy, you want to say thank you for the contribution you make to our profession. It's people like you that are helping elevate sellers to be the best they can be. I want to say thanks for coming on the Sales IQ podcast. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 